We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You're listening to Setting the Pace. Now, here's your host, Alex Golden and the great Kent Stowling. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. Today I'm joined by Kent Sterling, and we're going to talk seven questions about the Indiana Pacers going forward. But before we get into that, Kent, i got to ask you, Mike D'Antoni comes out today and says he's not returning to Houston. Uh, are you uh, are you getting the sense that D'Antoni could be uh, heading to Indiana soon? I don't think so. I, I, it, judge, unless Kevin Pritchard's just full of crap, right? Which is entirely possible. But what he said is is that they want a guy who can communicate with the younger players and, and the new kind of style of human being who is playing in the NBA today. Mike D'Antoni's going to be seventy years old. That's not the guy. That you know, there there is a generational thing. As young and hip as maybe a sixty nine year old thinks he's capable of being, it's just not the way he's going to be perceived by that roster unless. Kevin Pritchard was just, you know, kind of blowing smoke. And and who knows? Again, that could be pos- uh, possible, but I don't think that D'Antoni's the guy. I mean, if I got, and I know we're going to talk about it, but if I got Mike D'Antoni over here and Chauncey Billups over there, I'm going to Chauncey Billups. <laughs> yeah, Chauncey Billups is a guy who can communicate with people. Anybody yeah. you talk to in the history of his, uh, of his linkage with the NBA or the University of Colorado – all they do is extol this guy's virtues as far as being a leader. So uh, I don't think D'Antoni's the guy. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I I don't know why I'm intrigued by D'Antoni. Maybe it's just because of a different style of offense. But I definitely am intrigued by Chauncey Billups. And I'm not sure exactly why either. Maybe it's just kind of a uh, recency bias and how much people seem to really respect him as a player. 
But yeah, I think that I think that Chauncey Billups actually makes a ton of sense. Now, are there any other candidates that seem to uh, interest you as far as these assistant coaches that the Pacers are interviewing or doing thorough research on? None that I have any real kind of intellectual perspective on. Right, right. You know what I mean? I think it would be cool to talk to Becky Hammond. I I think that that would be great. I I think that at some point she's going to pop that glass ceiling, and and I think that that's going to be a cool deal. Uh, But given, again, Kevin Pritchard's, uh, at, at least what he's voiced as the priorities of this job. We don't know whether, whether Becky Hammond can communicate, walk into a locker room and command it right. and communicate with Victor Oladipo and Malcolm Brogdon and Domas Sabonis and Miles Turner and all these guys. We have no idea what to expect from Becky Hammond as the head coach of an NBA team. Somebody's going to take a chance, and I think they're going to be they're going to be rewarded for taking that chance, but I don't see that necessarily as being a, a team like the Pacers, who are kind of ready to win. Yeah, I agree with that. It's a it's a it's a tough dynamic, and you know, I'm excited to see what happens within the next couple of weeks. I'm assuming they'll make a decision by then, um, as they get ready for the off season. But Kent, we got seven questions we're going to talk about sure. for the Pacers' future that I came up with, and you have not seen these questions yet, so this is all going to be spontaneous for you. And your, um, you know, reactions will be very much uh, reactionary because you haven't had a chance to think about them. So I'll start you off with a pretty basic one, but um, uh, (laughs) it's like an oral exam at Ballantyne Hall (laughs) on the campus of Indiana University. I'm excited. (laughs) All right. Well, I'll start you off with one that I think is a pretty nice starter. But uh, what young player has a more promising future with the Pacers? Goga, Goga Batadze or Aaron Holiday, and why? I'm going to say Goga because I just think his the ceiling for Goga is to me higher. Yeah. He does so many things well. He just doesn't know what he's doing yet, and and you can you can get to where you know what you're doing. Aaron Holiday is a guy. The one thing that kind of bugs me about Holiday is that he can become a little bit emotional in his play, and that emotionalism leads to bad decisions every once in a while. We haven't seen that happen with Gogi yet, and, and maybe that's because Gogi's just flummoxed by both the offense and the defense and doesn't know how to set a screen yet. And and once he gets all that down, maybe he turns into a wing nut and, and he's an ill-tempered goof. I don't know. But the way he shoots it, his physical characteristics, his length, his ability to block shots – leads me to believe that he is a potential answer as a stretch five in a way that maybe Domas isn't or a stretch four. You know, I I mean, I see Miles and Domas almost as interchangeable and not in their not in their skill level and and what they're good at. But, you know, saying one's a four and one's a five is is a little bit difficult to say because you got one that kind of plays a five on defense and another that plays the five on offense. Anyway, mm-hmm. I, I think that Goga's a guy you can stretch a floor with. He can block shots. I think he's got a good motor. I like Goga a lot. I, I, and I think Aaron is a, a a good rotational guy, but I don't ever see him as a starting point guard on a championship level team. Right, and that's kind of the thing, you know. I think both of them to me are role players. I don't necessarily see Goga as an impact starter either, but maybe he could be. But I, I think one thing that I'm intrigued by is Aaron Holiday and a new offensive system. Um, you know, g- getting a solidified role, because we talked about this all season last year, 
Aaron was asked to play this role and then that role and then this role and then that role. And it's like the guy never got any consistency. And for a young player, you know, he's got a lot of potential. And I think, I believe he's six foot, he's only six foot tall. So yes, he is a little bit height challenge, but he has a six foot seven wingspan. Yeah. And his shoulders are so thick. Um, you know, I mean, for for as small as he is, he's still got some really nice attributes and, and, and qualities and characteristics to his game. So, for me, I'm going to go with Aaron Holiday here just because I feel like his game could, you know, f- be more impactful, especially in the near future, than Goga. Because Goga's still a project, and I haven't right. seen enough from Goga uh, on the floor to be like, man, I really believe his future is promising. Um, I see flashes of raw talent, if that makes sense, but... I don't necessarily see it right away. So maybe with a bigger opportunity, with more playing time, stuff like that, then I would be more confident saying I think he's got a more promising future. But right now I think Aaron Holiday makes makes more sense to me with uh, where this team is headed. Yeah, I give you that. I mean, uh, Goga I think is a higher ceiling, but he's also got a lower floor. Yeah. You know, so it could turn out that he's, in a, he's a, a, a bust. But – Aaron Holiday, we know for a fact, is not a bust. So yeah. I, I I see what you're saying. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of the thing. It's like Goga though. Like if he can really get that three point shot down, learn how to set screens, get himself a little bit solidified on both offense and defense. I think you look at Goga and you think, wow, this guy could be really special. But like you said, yeah, there's just no like uh, history that shows that. There's we haven't seen enough to say that he can be that. But anyway. That question was a little bit tougher than I thought it was going to be for a first for a first <laughs> single, but uh, let's get into another one here. So, um, sure. what what areas? Question number two: What areas would you like to see TJ Warren improve at for him to grow as a player? Wow, you know he was better defensively than I thought he was going to be. He's a guy who who created buckets at a high level down in the bubble. Um, I, I think, you know, I'd like to see him take another step forward in, in, in like elevating that three point percentage. Yeah. I, I'd like to see him become a little bit better at that, but man, the guy can go get buckets from all different ranges on the court. And, and like I said, defensively, I thought he was pretty good. I, he's got to figure out like, he's a good, um, uh, what we used to call in baseball, a good cripple hitter. You know, like a, a bad pitch hitter. Aramis, or Ramis Ramirez, as a Chicago Cub, was a guy where if you missed with a pitch, he was going to hit at 6,000 feet. But if he's going up against a really good pitcher, he had a very difficult time hitting even a buck fifty. And and to me, that's sort of where T.J. Warren is, where he can't just be a great player against a bad team. He's got to also be a good complementary player against a really, really good team if the Pacers are going to get where they need to go. Yeah, and I agree with all that. And I think, you know, you definitely hit on the one thing I want to talk about with this three-point shooting and be a little bit more consistent with that, maybe take a few more threes per game um, if they're the right shots, not just four shots. But I, I definitely want to see him get to the free throw line a little bit more. I yeah. think that he's able to, like we, we've seen it all season long, he's able to get himself into the paint. But instead of drawing contact, he tries to avoid it and score over the defender, or you know, out or outsmart the defender and get some points up, so or get some shots up. So I, I would like to see him, you know, kind of take a little bit of a Jimmy Butler's uh, mo of trying to get to the foul line and use that to because he's big. I mean, he's a big guy. When he gets to the line, I mean, he's going to get his free. He's going to knock his free throws down. He's a pretty good three point or free throw shooter as well. 
So, yeah, TJ's got to improve on that. But then one more thing is if he's going to be, you know, initiator on offense, he's got to be a better playmaker. You know, he's not a guy that's really looking to pass. I mean, he will pass when he's double teamed and stuff like that. But we saw Miami double team him a little bit, not a ton, but just a little bit. And in those double teams, he wasn't really able to, you know, get rid of the ball quick enough and get it to the right person. It was, you know, more reactionary. And he wasn't proactive with anticipating that double team and getting the ball to the right person. So uh, playmaking, three-point shooting, and free throw, uh, getting to the free throw line are my big three things for him. And I think if he could just get a little little bit better at all three of those, he could really take that leap to the next level. You know, I I agree with that. The thing that I really like about him, though, also, is that he's got a great knack for being able to hit a 12 to 15 footer. And and if you got a guy who can hit 80% from 12 to 15 feet during the flow of play, I'd rather see him take those shots and make them than create contact, go to the line, and shoot two at 80%. You yeah. know what I mean? I, I think in the end, if you've got a guy who's really, really prodigious in his ability to hit shots from 12 to 15 feet, I don't mind that guy pulling up from that range. Whereas with 98% of the guys in the NBA – it, you're right. You you got to finish at the rim, and if you can't finish, then you're going to go to the line, and you're going to put the opposition in, in a box because you're getting them in foul trouble. A guy like Eric Gordon is a guy like that who's a tremendous finisher and always has been. Just yeah. has always had a knack for that. He can shoot threes. He can finish. And and TJ is a guy who can shoot threes, and then he can he can kind of break you down and then hit the teardrop from twelve or or the pull-up from 12 to 15, I, 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 that's okay by me as long as he makes them. If you miss shots, if you, then you just look weak, yeah. right? You look like you're, you're unwilling to get in there and kind of mix it up. And I don't know whether that's – I haven't seen enough of him do it or fail at shooting the 12 to 15-footer to really gauge whether, whether he, he doesn't want to get into a, you know, kind of that contact game – or, or whether he's just being really, really efficient in his shot selection. But that's, yeah, I mean, if, if he can do that, if he, could, if he could shoot threes and hit mid-range shots and get to, the, get to where he's creating contact under the rim and get to the line, then, I mean, he's an all-star, right? I mean, right. You, you know, that'd be tremendous. That'd be yeah. a really, really good basketball player. Yeah, and I, I think that there's still room for him to grow as a player. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think we've seen a little bit of improvement just throughout this season. And, you know, depending on which style they play and which coach they go with and what his role is going forward, I think that he could, could, could continue to make those leaps into, you know, the next tier of players. But, yeah. um, he, you know, that's that's just my thoughts on TJ, and I agree with you. My, my only thing I would say back to getting to the free throw line maybe and trying to initiate some fouls is depending on who's guarding him, if he's able to get somebody in foul trouble, yeah. that's that's a big name for the other team. That'd be my only thing. Like if he can figure out a way to, hey, I'm gonna score on this guy anyway, I'm making a tough shot. I might as well take another step or two in, try to draw some contact and maybe get a foul call on a, let's say a Jimmy Butler type player, get him in foul trouble. That'll help you know the entire game open up for TJ. So anyway, let's move on here. Uh, the next question, question number three. So this is a little bit of a different question. So. Uh, my question is, is Malcolm Brogdon the best fit at point guard if the Pacers want to play a faster, more up-tempo, modern style of offense? And the reason I ask this is because 
uh, Jay Michael joined Mark Schindler on their podcast on the Indy Cornrows uh, podcast, and it was like a whole entire like breakdown of the offseason coming forward and what's next. And it was interesting, but Jay was on there, and he said that at the beginning of the season, McMillan wasn't super fond of the Brogdon. He didn't want them to go after Brogdon. And he, yeah. actually, and he actually wanted them to go after Jeff Teague because they wanted to play faster. So we we saw them not play super Ugh. fast this year. And he felt like Teague was held back because of Paul George and it was a different dynamic and all that. So whatever you think, you know, it is what it is. And who knows if that's, you know, if, if Jay was got word from McMillan on that or what. I don't know. But I'm just curious. I mean, if the Pacers want to play up-tempo, fast, modern style of offense, is Malcolm Brogdon – that type of point guard to do that i you know first about jeff teague and the difference between teague and brogdon that i think is really important is that jeff teague's 32 years old yeah and malcolm's 26 27 so if you're going to sign a guy to a four-year 72 million dollar deal you know do you really want to eat those years when the guy's 35 or 36 so i think that that was one of the things that that Kevin and the brain trust with the Pacers kind of took into account as they made that, made that decision. I don't It doesn't seem like he's as comfortable playing fast. It doesn't seem like he's the guy who wants to really go fast. And, mm-hmm. and what he said when Vic was coming back is that it seems like the faster the Pacers offense goes, the better Victor Oladipo plays. So it's up to him to kind of speed it up, but they didn't. And it didn't get fast. And it never got fast under Nate, despite the fact that Nate said that he wanted to play faster than the Pacers did. But that's never been what what the Pacers under in four years. That's never what they did. They never went quick. Yeah. And and so do you want to go out and get somebody else who can who can accomplish uh, an uptick in tempo? Then what do you do with with Malcolm? I don't know. I really like Malcolm as a leader for this team, and I think that Malcolm is going to be a guy who's who's a very effective recruiter when it comes to free agency. And I think you've got to have a guy like that who can go talk to people and say, look, here's why you want to come to Indianapolis and get their attention and bring guys here. And I don't think that the, the Pacers have had that for a while. So I think Malcolm is not only a really good shooter, and a uh, a really good leader, and a guy who I, I wish he was a better defender. Yeah. Um, but I I I yeah I'm kind of I'm kind of pot committed in my support with Malcolm unless I'm presented somehow with a better option. Yeah. Right. If there's a better option out there, and and you can accomplish that, then cool. Because I want the Pacers to play fast. I think they are their team. Where you can get out and run. If it, Sabonis, I think, runs the floor really, really well. I think Goga potentially is going to run the floor really, really well. Aaron can do it. Vic can do it. Uh, so I, and TJ can do it. And I think that the faster you go, the better they're going to be. It's just a matter of finding the coach who's going to try to get them there. I think that's going to be the kind of that lever that moves them in that direction. Yeah, and I really think, like, depending on what coach they go with and what roster moves they make, if they make any, you know, you could see. I, I think Malcolm would probably benefit playing a little bit off ball some as, like, a shooting guard. Yeah. In, in, a, in a faster, more up tempo style of play because he can shoot, he can put the ball on the floor when he needs to. But as the primary ball handler, is that his 
Is that his best, you know, attribute? Probably not. And I know Victor didn't look great in the um, in the return with handling the ball. So that's that's you're not spinning to a double team. Uh, yeah. Like if you got a ten year old playing basketball, you're telling the kid constantly, "Don't spin it, spin into double teams." And Victor <laughs> does it every third possession. It drives yeah. me crazy. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I just you know because part of my thinking was, well, if you give Victor some more of the ball handling opportunities, where Malcolm can play off ball, because we saw Vic two years ago. I mean, he looked pretty good being that you know primary ball handler, running pick and roll right. when when it was towards the end of the game and stuff like that. You have a guy like Brogdon sitting right there on the wing. You know, you can kick it out to him if you get double teamed, whatever. That was kind of my, you know, that's what I envisioned the Pacers doing um, for the future. Now, it depends on what they make roster move-wise. But I still think if they go out and make a trade or acquire a point guard somehow to play with Malcolm, possibly play with Malcolm and Victor, I think they could do it. I don't know if Aaron Holiday is ready or not to take on that role. I would say probably not. I still see him as a role player. Uh, a reserve coming off the bench and maybe getting more of an opportunity to be the point guard for the second unit. But, you know, it's 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 interesting. And I, and I, I like Malcolm a lot. I wouldn't just trade him to trade him, and I wouldn't just move on from him because the offensive style doesn't fit him the best way. I, I would figure it out because uh, I think Malcolm's a really good leader. And we talked about Chauncey Billups earlier. I kind of see some Chauncey in Malcolm. Uh, that's interesting. As far as leadership goes, I wouldn't say necessarily yeah. as, as a, uh, as a playmaker because, but, but Chauncey wasn't super quick off the dribble either. No. And, and they've got a good relationship. We know that, that Phillips has built a relationship with Brogdon and with Oladipo. Right. Um, they are, they're potentially really similar. I haven't seen Malcolm to this point, at least win at the level that Billups did, what Billups did was was unbelievable. I mean, if you look at the history of the NBA since 1980, and I think we've talked about this before, you have on every single championship team, you've got like a guy. You've got LeBron or Larry or Magic. You've got a one-named guy on that team, at least one of them, right? Shaq, Kobe, you know, Michael. And the the one outlier was that 4 team of the Detroit Pistons with Chauncey Billups and Rip Hamilton and all those guys, Ben Wallace, where you didn't have like that wow guy that people are paying to go watch. Billups knows how to get that done. He's seen it done. He's done it. And and the Pacers are kind of that team. And that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm kind of a honk for Billups, too. But that's yeah. a, a really interesting comparison between a guy like Brogdon and a, a guy like Billups. Yeah, it is. And I mean, it's just, I'm in, I'm intrigued by all of it. And I, I like Malcolm a lot. I think he's a really good player. And I we saw what he's capable of in that game three against the Heat in the second half. I mean, he went off, really just took this team under his belt. But there was no, like, the offense was awful throughout the whole entire series. So I'd be interested to see what he looks like in a different offensive style. I mean, yeah. we, know, we know that when Sabonis was there, those two had that pick and roll. Um down pat. I mean, those two guys in that pick and roll were lethal. And it's because you had two guys that were really good playmakers running the right. offense together. And they were able to figure things out. If that didn't work, kick it out, get other options involved. So, Kent, let's take a real quick break. We'll come right back after this short commercial break. Alrighty, everybody, we're back, and we have four more questions to discuss for the Pacers. And so, if you missed any of it already, uh, we talked about Malcolm Brogdon, Aaron Holiday, and Gogo Batadze, and TJ Warren. So, 
let's move on here, Kent. Now we're going to talk um, some more stuff. And I, I guess my next question would be, should the Pacers offer the full mid-level exception to Justin Holiday? Oh no, I don't think so. I, I don't think I, I don't think his value is going to increase. I really like him. I, he's a great dude. But you know, uh, to put it, uh, there's a guy who does some Indianapolis Colts analysis named Rick Venturi, who, who is an assistant coach in the NFL for a long, long time, 26 years, and and for I think 12 of those years here with the Colts, and he calls those guys Walmart guys, where you can go to the Walmart and find this guy. And you're not going to win a championship because of Justin Holiday, and you're probably not going to win a championship because of anybody you add through the mid-level exception. Yeah. But I, I, and, and while I love him, and I think his leadership was wonderful this year, I, I think you you try to while you try to figure out how to keep him, I don't think that you would allocate because that's really all you got. And, and you really don't know how the math is going to work this offseason yet. And without knowing how the math is going to work, that, that mid-level exception might be exceptionally valuable and, and might be more valuable utilized towards someone else, toward another asset than, uh, than Justin Holiday. So I don't think so. I think you can go get Justin Holiday's, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess. Um, he's, he's, he was pretty good this year, Kent. Um, yeah, I, I love him. I think depending on what style they go with, like let's just play devil's advocate here, but let's say they do indeed go after Mike D'Antoni, right? Someone that just came out and said he's not returning to Houston, and there's already rumors going around that Philadelphia and New Orleans are interested, and the Pacers apparently have interest as well, and blah, 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 right? But let's just say that they decide, hey, we uh, want to get D'Antoni. Well, Justin Holiday is a 40% three-point shooter this year, really good on defense. And, yeah. you know, he's one of those role players like a, uh, not probably as good, but someone like a Robert Covington, uh, who, who was doing pretty well and had some really nice moments there for the Houston Rockets. So, yeah, I, I think $10 million is what your mid-level exceptions around. I'm not sure exact the exact numbers, but it's around $10 million what they'd have. I mean, they could do different things. With it. They could split that up and get two players. They could give it all to one player. And it just depends. Like you said, I'm not sure how this whole entire offseason goes and how it's affected financially. But I think Justin Holiday, I mean, with the numbers that he put up this year and the veteran leadership that he brought, I really think that he's going to get $10 million from somebody, right? Well, it depends on, on the math. It depends on the cap yeah. number and, and what guys are able, what teams are able to go utilize to sign people. And so this might be one of those off seasons where it's a really bad time to be a free agent. Yeah. And, and that could be the thing. And so uh, I think that Kevin and his staff, they got to figure out exactly what the true value of these guys are and not be. And, and the, I think the Pacers are really good at this is, is evaluating with the brain and, and not really the heart from the heart. You want Justin. You want fifteen Justin Holidays under contract, right? But it, it, you know, somehow, some way, and I know we want to keep as many guys as we can. But this is a team that just got swept by the Miami Heat in the first round of the playoffs, and the coach got fired as a result of it. Some of that responsibility has to be borne by the players. Somebody's got to change. You got to do something with this roster, for goodness' sake. Or how in the world do you think anything? is going to be substantially different. This is a Poyers league. That's a Poyers sweep. They're going to replace the coach, but that's a Poyers sweep. 
and somebody's got to be held accountable. And while it doesn't necessarily need to be Justin Holiday, I don't think he's the reason that the Pacers got swept. And in fact, he's not. Um, you know, you somehow, some way, you have to do something that would lead us to believe that there's there's a different result in the offing, and and you do that by making player changes. And if that means utilizing the ten million somewhere else, it means utilizing the ten million somewhere else. Yeah, I, I think I would offer it to him just because I really believe that he was that valuable to the Pacers this season. Defensively, was really good. Could play some starters minutes. I mean, I don't love him at the power forward position, but I definitely like no. him as as the three. I think that he could really do some stuff on the wing. And, you know, he's not a guy that's going to create for himself, but he's definitely a guy that is a great team player, great locker room presence. If yep. they're going to make any significant changes, I think, you know, because there's also the talk of, you know, T.J. McConnell's contract isn't fully guaranteed until a certain date. And if the Pacers decide not to fully guarantee, they could cut him and only have to pay him like $1.3 million. But if they keep him, they could pay like around $3 million. I don't think they're getting rid of T.J. McConnell, even if they decide that they want to, go with Aaron Holiday as a backup point guard and put McConnell in a third point guard position just because I think that his leadership and his importance to this team's chemistry is, you know, too valuable to just let him walk for nothing. And uh, I feel the same way about Justin Holiday. I mean, especially if, if Aaron is someone that, you know, uses his brother in a sense to motivate him, keep him, you know, continuing to rise up. I think that having that brother there might be part of the reason Aaron had a better season this year. So, I mean, if it's only for one year, I'm, I'm not opposed to doing it, Ken. I, I think that $10 million, to me, sounds like a pretty good number for Justin Holiday, even though, like you said, you're not going to win with that mid-level player, right? But I, I think there's – what else are you going to get out there that's better than Justin Holiday and what he did for this team this year? You know what, though? I And, and this goes back to your previous point. I never really saw Justin and Aaron having that kind of relationship. And in in talking to Justin the number of times I did, I never heard him talk about his need, or Aaron for that matter, how that was, hey, I need this guy, this guy is helping me learn. I I never got that sense. I think Justin kind of let Aaron figure it out. I did see, ironically, T.J. McConnell kind of put his arm around Aaron and, you know, moving into timeouts. I saw this a bunch of times where those guys had conversations where TJ was trying to say, hey, look, this is what happened, and this is what kind of you need to do about it. And and so I think that TJ had a, had a good mentor-student relationship with Aaron in a way that uh, we all assume that, right, with mm-hmm. Justin and Aaron. But I just – I looked for it, and I just never saw it. So maybe yeah. it happened behind the scenes. I yeah. don't know, but I didn't see it. That's that's kind of what I would probably assume is it was more off court than it was during the Could games, and and maybe Justin didn't want to overstep his boundaries as big brother during the games, and deflected and let let the point guard, you know, kind of handle that situation. Um, but who knows? I mean, players can get on players right. and, and and what's going forward. But anyway, let's let's move on to our next question here. I believe this is question number five. This is one about our about our guy Demontis Sabonis. So I wanted to know: Do you see Demontis Sabonis having the same impact on the Pacers as he did this last season? I think his impact is going to be enhanced. I think he's going to take another step forward. Uh, that's Domas. I mean, what is he? Twenty four, right? Yeah. Recently and, engaged. And so, what I said, he's recently oh, engaged yeah. too. Yeah, so. I saw that. Yeah, hopefully that helps him. 
yeah. getting married, that didn't help Andrew Luck. Andrew <laughs> Luck became a former quarterback when he uh, when he got married. Yeah. Hopefully that doesn't happen with Domas. But I think that Domas is going to take a step toward the good. And and so I, I, I don't think he's anywhere near his prime yet. I think he's just coming into it. And I think he's going to become the kind of power forward that can can be a not a dominant presence on a championship level team, but a terrific contributing presence on a championship level team. I love Domas and I love where he's headed. I do too. And I think one thing that has been really cool to see from this playoffs is the importance of bigs that can play make. Uh, Bam yep. Adebayo, Nikola Jokic. Um, we've, we've even seen it from, uh, I'm losing my, my thought here, but, uh, there's been other players that have really done it. Those are the two that stick out the most, but I mean, the Pacers definitely miss that. And I, I mean, um, it's, it's frustrating because we didn't get to see him in the playoffs and I would have loved to have seen how he handled Bam Adebayo, one of the better defenders in the NBA at that position. And, you know, in, in the McMillan offense, I mean, everything ran through Sabonis. So that's kind of why I was like, you know, do we think that the new coach or whoever the coach is will run as much through Domas? I'm not sure if they will or they won't, but I do know this is that when Domas is given the responsibility of being the main screener, getting guys open, making the right pass, he, he comes through. Sure, there's times when he might mess up or might be a little selfish and try to force a shot, but not very often. Domas usually comes across as a very selfless player who, who makes the right basketball play. And his ability to help other players is, is one of the main reasons I'm so attracted to keeping him long-term because he not only can get 18 and 13 for himself, but he can also help Doug McDermott go off for 12 points in a game off the yep. bench. He can get Justin Holiday an open look from three. He can get Malcolm Brogdon or TJ Warren on a back cut. It's just he does so many things well on that offensive end, and I, I really believe that. Um, I don't think that he'll maybe have uh, a bigger impact, but I could see him having the same impact as he did this last season. You know, you, you've kind of you've talked about this a couple of times, and I haven't yet. And it, it's one of my favorite things to discuss in terms of basketball. And and that's you've got Domas and Malcolm who understand the game as as a five man kind of uh, symphony, right? You've got five parts, and all five parts need to be engaged in order for the whole to be successful. Right. And then you've got other guys in basketball. In Victor Oladipo, I would lump into this category, and even Aaron Holiday to an extent, although I think he can maybe evolve out of it, who who think me got to have ball, and me with ball means happy. <laughs> you know, and, and that just that doesn't lead to success in basketball. Basketball is best played by five guys and by five guys who all understand that they're one of five. And if you get a guy or a couple of guys – who, who believe that the success in basketball is stat-driven, like Lance. And this is why Lance, to me, was a pox on the team, despite his hilarity and, and his ability to engage fans with his energy. You don't win with a guy like Lance, because Lance sees the game through his own eyes and not through the eyes of others. And, and I think that the Pacers right now, they got a few guys who are on this side of the ledger, and a few guys were on that side of the ledger where it comes to the understanding of the game being a team sort of effort. And I think that what Kevin's got to do is he's really got to figure out how to get an alpha male in here 
who is team driven, a guy, and, and I mean, this is preposterous because you're not going to get either of these guys, but you go back in time and it's, it's bird, it's magic. It's, uh, I mean, uh, Kawhi Leonard, I think would be kind of a guy like that. LeBron has evolved into that. I think that Michael started out being one and then evolved into another with Phil Jackson's help. Um, so maybe it's possible for uh, a guy like Victor to sort of develop an understanding of how basketball is is a little bit different than what he sees it as. And that, to me, is where the rubber hits the road as far as Vic and whether Kevin brings him back or not, or, or whether he deals him. It's going to be, number one, what return do you get? But number two, do you feel like a new coach is going to be able to open his eyes as to the way basketball is correctly played. Yeah, and um, I was curious because this name has kind of been floating around from different people as just kind of speculation, not speculation, but just they're kind of interested in in this type of player. But, like, you talk about an alpha male on this team and someone probably with a much larger pedigree than Lance Stevenson. Uh, I'm curious your thoughts. I know he's older, but Chris Paul, as as a guy, do you think he's a good leader or no? I think he is a good leader, and and I think that his leadership abilities have kind of been downplayed. But yeah. this year, you saw it. You know, the Thunder damn near won that series against the Rockets, and maybe should have won that series. And other than Chris Paul, who you got? You know, yeah. I mean, yikes, you got Adams. <laughs> you know, Lou I mean, Dort, uh, SGA. <laughs> well, I will say, yeah. I will say this: Lou Dort played pretty well in those last couple games of the of the uh, first round. Uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander was a fine player. I mean, he's he's yeah. starting to show some promise. Uh, I thought Dennis Schroeder played a really good season this year. It was a possible six man of the year candidate, uh, or I think uh, Montrezl Harrell won it. But I think Schroeder was right there in the top three. And then of course Danilo Gallinari had a pretty good season as well. I mean, I think Chris Paul makes others better as well. Yes, and I, and I think that Schroeder's uh, elevation in his yeah. play, he's always been kind of wonderfully talented guy when he was with the Hawks or, or now with a, with the thunder. Uh, but it, it always seemed like he was playing on a different planet. And this year it seemed like he was on our planet and played really well as, as a guy on our planet. And I, I think that Chris Paul deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not saying the Pacers should go out and make a trade for Chris Paul. I mean, it's like $41 million next year, then 40 some the next year after that. Yeah. I, under, I understand why people are intrigued by it. I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I like Chris Paul a lot. And if the Pacers really want to win these next couple of seasons, and it depends on what coach they get, if you got a team surrounded by Sabonis, Chris Paul, and Malcolm Brogdon, they might not play the fastest style of tempo, but I think those are three of the smartest guys in the NBA right there and, yeah. and three guys that can really play make. So, I, I mean, that would be intriguing to me, and they might be able to outsmart teams. Um, in the playoffs, but they have to find that right coach because I mean, that's that's the big thing. And and what other surrounding pieces do they have? What do they have to give up to get him? That all comes into play as well. So, but yeah, I mean, even even someone like Schroeder, I think if the Pacers wanted to play a more up tempo, modern style of basketball, Schroeder is you know proved this year that he could help a team like that. You know, if if Chris Paul was twenty eight instead of thirty five, I'd be all in. Yeah, but yeah. I I think that if he was, he'd probably be untouchable. That's what I'm saying. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So and and as far as Schroeder, I don't know. You know, I think you've kind of 
I think he's he's sort of an ill-fitting piece, even for what he is. But uh, what a marvelous, marvelously talented player he is. Yeah. And you know what? I, I mean, at this point, you just got swept by the Heat. You can't do worse than getting swept in the first round of the playoffs unless you don't make the playoffs. So you're kind of playing with the house's money. Yeah, that's that's true. All right, Kent. Well, we have two more questions left. We'll go ahead and go through these. Um, do you want a? Uh, let me ask you what what category do you want? Because I've got one about the head coach, and I've also got one about this year's playoffs. So, what do you want? What category you want to go with? Oh, it, it, this year's playoffs sounds depressing. Uh, so let's talk <laughs> about the coach. All right. Well, <laughs> it's not that depressing, but I, you'll understand the question next. So, okay. Uh, the last or the sixth question here is: What is the most important quality you want in the Pacers' future head coach? I know that for Kevin, what he said, it's the ability to communicate. But for me, it's it's the ability to re-inject a level of joy in the play. And whether that's through communication or scheme or whatever it is, I want to see the Pacers look like they are enjoying the process of playing 82 games. And And what we saw once we got to the postseason was a team that really seemed to all of a sudden wobble its way into total dysfunction and in total kind of a malaise. And in basketball, you can feel that basketball is a really visceral thing to watch. And, and so as you want the energy of it, and as you watch basketball, you either feel it or you don't feel it. And with the Pacers in the playoffs, I only felt it for like, what, the first quarter of the first game and then the third quarter of the third game. I, I thought that they played with some joy. I think you've got to play the game with joy if you're going to play it well. And so I want to see a coach who who's going to allow this team or put this team in a position where joy is a priority. Yeah, that's that's a good one. I, I think for me, Kent, what I want to see is how we can maximize our young players' talent. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, you look at a guy like Matadze, doesn't see the floor. You see the guy like Aaron Holiday who really struggled to get on the floor at the beginning of the season, and it took a bunch of injuries to get him playing time. Uh, T.J. Leaf, as much as we like to make fun of the pick, rightfully so, um, never really was given a, a great chance to, to show us what he's able to do. And so what I would like to see is a coach that's able to take, kind of like Nick Nurse, able to take these guys that are drafted in the late part of the draft and maximize their talent because, I mean, the Pacers – we know they're never gonna they're never gonna tank. They might trade right. they might trade draft picks to acquire proven veteran players to help this roster. But when they do draft, they normally draft later in the in the in the draft. And getting that right player, getting that right fit, and uh, making sure that they are given quality time on the court while not hurting the team's success uh you know in wins and losses is 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 huge to me. So I want to see a more I want to see a player developer as well as someone that, you know, like you said is going to bring joy, but I don't want them to sacrifice winning to develop players if that makes sense. I don't want another Kenny Atkinson type player or coach. Right. I, I want someone that you got a really good solid roster and, and these guys have all improved under McMillan. But I want to see the guys that haven't been given ample opportunities to improve and be able to play and be productive when they're given that opportunity. Well, and so this is how Kevin Pritchard, I think, addressed that. He said it might be more important who winds up being on the staff. That's fair. The staff. And so I think that he agrees with you. 
and that he would grade the the Pacers staff in terms of player development at, at a lower level than I think many might. And and as a result of that, if you hire a guy like Billups, I don't think that he's going to just maintain the assistant coaching staff as is, and he's going to go out and get guys who can develop talent. And I, I do think that that's important. I think that that's going to be a function of kind of that understaff and they'll be selected in large part by whoever the head coach winds up being. That's a great point. Yeah, and I think building the right assistant coaching staff is is key to the yeah. success of this team because, I mean, you, we liked all the other coaches and had no problem with them. Bano, Popeye Jones. Uh, Burke. Dan Burke, right? So, I mean, I want to see what Billups would do or whoever's brought in. I mean, I just use Billups because – He's a guy that has no head coaching experience, so you would think that he's going to get some proven guys to be his yeah. assistants and uh, really lead the charge. Um, if he's more about player communication, then you can go out and get an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator to try to you know, give them the, the keys to that and let them run with it, and then you kind of oversee it. So I'm interested in that as well. But, yeah, developing players – you know, winning, playing a different style of basketball is obviously key as well. I mean, I don't want to be stuck in the uh, 1990s style of play. I don't want to be dead last in pace and three-point shooting uh, when everybody else is, you know, trending differently. And right. I mean, I know you're very, uh, from what from what I've gathered from your thoughts is you're not a big fan of shooting more threes, but you're more a fan of shooting the right threes. Correct. And, and not forcing threes to be forcing threes. Like, I don't know how many times I saw in that opening quarter last night, uh, Saturday, when the Rockets were playing the Lakers, James Harden right at the rim kicking it out for a three-point shot. I don't like that at all. No, if it, somebody's going <laughs> to hand you two points, take the two. Right, and, yep. I, and I agree right. with that. So I think that it's smart to, to look for the three-point shot instead of, you know, taking a, a long two right in front of the arc. It's kind of silly if you can get that extra foot behind the line and shoot it, but... You know, it just all depends on what they do going forward. But, yeah, I think there's a lot of characteristics I want to see. I thought Nate was, you know, uh, they called him the Sarge for a reason. He wouldn't take any crap from anybody. And right. I, and I like that. No nonsense. You know, you want to you wanna be an idiot, then you're not going to get playing time. you got to earn your minutes on the court. I think that still should be part of it. I don't want to cater to players, but I do want to have a coach that is understanding and tries to work with them and uh, has a good relationship so he doesn't feel like he has to cater to them. Uh, I, I think if you have to be coddled and babied in the NBA and you're not a top three player, then you know I don't think that I can really see myself investing in you long term. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I do not like uh, coaches who are player first yeah. and not game first. If you try to make 15 guys happy, you're going to make 15 guys miserable. Yep. And and players, I think, are wired today to be miserable anyway. They are more envious of the shots they don't get than uh, pleased with the shots that they do get. And and so I think that and, and, and it's just like business. I mean, if you manage a department, you're going to have guys who are earners and you're going to or, or people who are earners, and you're going to have people who are not. And and so. It, as the manager of that kind of department, you do have to treat people differently, and you, but you have to understand that they're all going to be unhappy with you anyway. That's, that's why they pay managers a lot of money and coaches a lot of money, because it, it's not fun to be you know, disdained by everyone in, on some level. 
Like you never find a manager where you talk to people privately about whether they enjoy their jobs and what aspect of their job they like. The best you're going to get about a manager ever, if people are honest, is that, you know what, yeah, he's okay or she's okay. That's mm-hmm. the best you get. And that's the best you're going to get as a coach. If you've got a bunch of players or, or a sect of players who absolutely love you, you're doing something horribly wrong. That should not be the response from, from a staff about a manager ever is that, oh, we love him or, you know, that or her. It, it just doesn't happen. Not for a good manager. Right, right. All right. Well, let me get to that depressing topic that you wanted All to right. avoid. We'll save it for the end here. Uh, it's not really depressing. Um, my question here, Kent, for you is what have you learned from the NBA playoffs this year that the Pacers lack with their current roster? Wow. Um, I, I think that the Pacers, the Pacers lack the talent necessary to win without everything else being perfect, if that makes sense. Yeah, I like, I, I think that the Pacers are talented enough to win if their culture is great if they play with great joy, if they're completely connected schematically on the defensive end, I think they're good enough to be able to win. But I don't think that that's where they are. And and so they're going to have to either address the talent or they're going to have to address the level of commitment of these guys to one another. And and that that's where I am with the Pacers. And, and like, you know, if you watched, any part of the Nuggets and the Clippers today. Like the Clippers, the Clippers are good when they want to be. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of get bored with things. And all of a sudden, the Nuggets go from being down 19 to winning by 13. And holy hell, we got a game seven. Right. You know, it, it, if you aren't like keyed in and, and wired to win every possession of every game, then you better have LeBron James or Magic Johnson or Larry Bird or Michael Jordan or somebody like that, or you have no chance yeah. to win even a playoff series. And, and let me go back to my previous answer for a minute, because as I'm thinking about it, managers I've had, there have been some managers that I've absolutely loved. And and so I think you can be loved, but I think it's very, very rare that that people like the person for whom they they work from a professional perspective. Not from personally you can like a person. But professionally, I, I think it's really, really difficult to keep a bunch of people happy anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's that's where I think the Pacers got to go. They either have to get an alpha male who, who's one of the best three players in the league or they've got to check all the other boxes. And I think that that job, while more while very difficult, is possible where going out and getting an alpha is just about impossible. Yeah, you kind of you kind of took my answer there, talking about an alpha. I just think they lack that killer. They they need a killer on their team, and you know we we've kind of made mention of it. I know fans have. They like that Lance Stevenson shows no fear, right? Where you right. where you come across, you might be like, well, it's not no fear, it's just semantics, right? But um, some some people are not a fan of him, whatever. But some people really are, and I I, I notice when he plays, like he don't really seem to care. Nobody really intimidates him, and I like that about him. That is one thing that doesn't trick me about Lance, is he never seems afraid of the moment. And sometimes I felt like, especially in this last playoff series, the Pacers were afraid to – they didn't know who that guy was at the end of the game. And I think, like, you, you look at the Miami Heat, well, you know, some games it's been Goran Dragic. Some games it's been Jimmy Butler. For crying yeah. out loud, some games it's been Tyler Hero, a rookie. 
But it's because of their culture, which you mentioned. They have given these guys the confidence to say, hey, we believe in you. We're going to run this play for you at the end of the game. Go out there and do what you do best. You know, you can't, you know, you can't clinch your butt cheeks when you're, when you're at when the games on the line, you got to go out there and, and really just have that level of confidence in yourself to go out there and perform. And so we mentioned it earlier talking about Chris Paul, would you welcome a trade here to Indiana guys, 35 years old? Yes. But one thing he doesn't lack is confidence. And I know that last play of the game where he kind of fumbled the ball and then made a desperate pass that almost got stolen and whatever, like he didn't have a great end of the end-of-the-game uh, decision-making right there. But overall, throughout his career, he's been really good. And a uh, six-foot guy that can constantly get jumpers over taller defenders is, uh, is is impressive to me. So I just think they lack that killer. And, and I think one other thing, too, like it's not like the Pacers are super bad, but I think they could get a little bit more athletic on the wings, um, get some more athletic yeah. players. They're, they seem to be one-dimensional and uh, and not athletic enough. Usually get beat off the dribble. It can be a little slow-footed. I think they could use more athletic, active defenders. I mean, look at this Boston team. Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum. Those three guys are super athletic. They're great defenders. And uh, that's what I think the Pacers could use is somebody that has those attributes. You know, and, and one thing that you, you kind of mentioned is how the Heat, the Heat will draw plays for anybody, and they will. They'll also support the the four guys who don't get the bucket. They support the guy who did, and and so when you've got a guy like Duncan Robinson, who Jimmy Butler is, and Duncan Robinson's got like behaviorally, it, it wouldn't it, it'd be okay if he thought as as a, a candidate to play in the NBA, he thought, well, I can't do this. You know, I I'm not I'm not that. I went to Williams College for a year for God's sake. How in the hell am I going to play in the NBA? I think you've that's the fourth like, time in a row you said that on the podcast. Duncan <laughs> Robinson's went to Williams. But if you've got a guy like Jimmy Butler, who's an all star, who's talking about you in post game media availabilities, and is talking to you on the floor about what a killer you are, and and how you just go get buckets, and I'm looking for your ass you're imbuing that guy with tremendous confidence. And all of a sudden a confident shooter winds up being a really good shooter instead of what happened with the Pacers. And what's been rumored is that when TJ Warren was going off in the, in the bubble, Victor Oladipo was jealous about it. Yeah. You cannot have that kind of thing. If you want to be a winning organization, you just can't have it. You have to have Victor Oladipo, not just saying the right thing, about T.J. Warren to the media, you got to have Victor Oladipo actually believing it and buying into, you know, a made bucket belongs to all of us instead of, oh, that was your bucket, this is my bucket. If I don't get my shots and I don't get my 22 a game, then I'm not going to get my max deal, and then I'm going to get pissed off at everybody. If you've got that kind of petty crap going on in your locker room, you have lost games before you've even played them. That's that's a great point, and um, I, I think you know some people get mad. I, I've been laughing because some people are like, "Man, Ken is so hard on uh, on Victor Oladipo and uh, everything like that." But uh, to be fair, Victor Oladipo has kind of put all this on himself, and right. um, it's it, you wouldn't be talking about him if he wasn't coming across as so selfish. Even if even if he was struggling on the court, you might talk about some of his struggles, but more of it's coming off the court and, and how he's you know, portraying himself as someone that's been kind of a drama queen. And I'll tell you this, I wouldn't say the things that I do about Victor Oladipo if I didn't love the guy. I think he's fantastic. 
I think there is so much good to Victor Oladipo mm-hmm. that that has not been unearthed yet, and and hasn't kind of been shown to us. I want to see Victor Oladipo become that guy because it's within him to be that kind of guy, and at this point, he's just not. And it disappoints me personally that a guy that I've known a little bit since. He got to Bloomington before his freshman year. I think I was the first guy to interview him. I loved him. I was like, dude, if, if basketball doesn't work out, give me a call. I will hire you to do something because what you have, you have all the attributes of a guy who's going to be successful. And he has been. And that's me talking to a guy. I've never seen him play. He was ranked 150th in the class of 2010. Mm-hmm. Right? Just a winning attitude about life for him and and what he needs to do is he needs to focus his energy on other people and and their ability to succeed and he needs to bring that to them and it's not about him and it's not about you know all the at the end of the day and all the vernacular and all that crapola it's about figuring out how to take what he has and infusing it in others and yeah. elevating the play of others because that is the beauty of basketball. It's not dunks and it's not, you know, behind the back this and it's not steals and leading the NBA in steals or making the all-star game or making millions of dollars. It's about what you can do for others. And that's yeah. where Vic's got to get to. I love it, Kent. So, well, that was the seven questions. Were there any, was there anything else you wanted to discuss that I didn't bring up? No, that was very good, and and I got to tell you the truth. If I had enjoyed my oral examinations at Indiana University at the level that uh, I did here, I never would have gone on academic probation. <laughs> so that that is great, kid. Well, I'm I wish that I could have provided that for you back then, but um, here we yeah, me are. Too. My parents yeah. too. Yeah, absolutely. And look at you now. I mean, you got breakfast with Ken every morning. Who needs to go to school when you can get on Twitter and Facebook and watch Kent talk in front of the camera live for 15 minutes? There you and, go. And uh, catch all your great takes on uh, Substack and, uh, uh, of course, Twitter.com. So, uh, no, just give it your time. But we, we do love you, Kent. We thank you for coming on the show and, um, with us every Sunday. I know that we're getting a little bit of dead time here as the Pacers offseason is more than likely going to be pushed back once again. They're saying the target date for the draft is November 18th. Yeah. So uh, we'll see what happens and what all happens in between there. But um, we've got the Celtics heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. Two teams of Pacers were more than likely going to be playing uh, this offseason. So it's kind of kind of crazy to see the two teams of Pacers fans were debating on who they'd rather see are both now in the Eastern Conference Championship. So two really good teams, really good coaches. I want the Pacers to eventually get back to that level. And I think that it's all going to start first with what kind of coach they hire and yeah. getting the respect of the players and then also making the necessary and the right moves to better this roster. But other than that, that's all I got to say, Kent. And uh, I look forward to talking to you next week. And maybe by then we'll find out uh, who might be uh, who, are, who, who might be our new coach. Perfect. Thanks, Alex. I think it's going to be Phillips. I hope it's going to be Phillips. Kevin, make it Phillips. Pick up the phone, call him, give him what he wants. <laughs> all right, everybody. You heard it there first from Kent Sterling, Chauncey Billups potential new Indiana Pacers head coach. I'm at Alex Golden NBA. Kent's at Kent Sterling. We will talk to you all next week. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. 
relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.